Hello everybody, welcome to another episode, we're talking stuff with Tay, uh, very excited to be back again uh, for yet another amazing conversation. Um, I was incredibly encouraged uh, to see that we have friends that are tuning in from all over the world, we got our stats back this week and it's amazing and I hope you guys uh, keep uh, commenting and sending your suggestions. And we're definitely going to try to to get a wide range and diverse views of contributors and friends that will be coming in over the next couple of weeks and hopefully into a couple of months. Today different. Uh, we've got Musa Buntu, uh, who's coming from Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, and we're going to have an um, interesting conversation about a whole range of stuff. So for now, let me introduce Musa Buntu. Welcome to Talking Stuff with Stay. Sanwanani, thank you so much for having me on Talking Stuff. I'm so good at talking stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. And that's, that is the qualifier of you being here today. Because you, you, you pre- I know you can talk a lot of stuff. So I thought we're not yeah. just talk, talk that stuff with Stay. I mean, it just makes sense. It really so, does. And it also guarantees that when I do something, you'll have to do it too. <laughs> right already already negotiating already negotiating <laughs> so i wanted to give a perspective right so we've um you know we're obviously in day 45 in south africa i know some friends are on day 52 in the u.s and and others are, are much more we we're sitting on day 45 of our COVID lockdown how has that been for you well how do i say this I think people won't like my opinion, (laughs) except for the few who feel the same way. I'm an ambivert, so yes, it's been challenging in some ways, but this has really suited my nature. Um, You know, I I love being at home and I'm really fortunate to be in a safe and loving environment. Um, And I only say it won't suit a lot of people's opinion because I think in a time of chaos, people want you to join the mob mentality of complaining and thinking it's such a terrible time or the other extreme where you're supposed to be overproductive and really positive about the introspection and I'm just really consistently me which is this is just another day it's another period of existence and obviously there's the usual stresses of life but I don't see them not existing after this pandemic period and they existed before so Boringly, I'm kind of the same. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I wouldn't associate boring with you, but I, but, but I get your drift. I mean, it's. Um, I guess it's important that each one does what they believe is best under such times, because I think people have different exactly. coping mechanisms, um, and 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 each one will will you know do what they can in this particular environment and I, and I wanted to maybe uh, talk a bit more around your 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 professional uh, work um, and your your chosen sector yeah. of work and how has that affected your ability to to do to yeah. work and to conduct business in this particular environment right now and how do you basically see the future of the entertainment and media media industry um, going yeah. forward. So um, I founded Wusabuntu Pictures as a disruptive media company, 
and our intention was always to work not against tradition but as a form of innovating tradition and what that ultimately ultimately means in my reality on a day-to-day basis is that I function as an entrepreneur I have to wait for contracts to come through and I think that's why COVID hasn't been such a shock to me because I've spent the past decade hustling and trying to get contracts and being out of work and worrying about the next month of income and so what I think this is going to do for us as a that is a global virus in the entertainment industry particularly is that it's going to push people to the digital space that Wusabuntu Pictures has been in for the past 10 years and I've watched a lot of people who have been working in a very traditional setting really struggle like you've said you know people have different coping mechanisms and I think people who really worked within traditional environments are being challenged now to look at a disruptive and innovative way of doing their business. And the thing is with us in the entertainment industry, we've been going towards digital for a longer time than most industries. So I think that if you're fortunate enough to have, let's say a a long list of clients, you should be fine going forward because you can create content in isolation as a content creator. I mean, you and I are doing it right now. Podcasts are a part of what is considered the entertainment and media industry. And there's been a flurry over the past five years of just uh, people who are talk show hosts, people who are sports people, people you would never have imagined doing a podcast have started doing them because of, I would say, the influence of digital technologies and so I think that for us in the entertainment industry what will change drastically is the way we film Um, you know we're probably going to start having to have sanitizers on set we're probably going to have to um, make sure that we have temperature checks before people can walk on to set Um, and I don't think that's isolated I think that's kind of what's happening to a lot of industries but in reality because so much of our work outside of being on set can happen in an isolated or remote space. I don't see a lot of disruption. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, if you look broadly into sectors, you know, that I'm invest- invested in, which is sports, entertainment and, and media, uh, particularly of late now in the tech environment, you found that obviously sports has got a global halt in the world. And I think they're yeah. still sort of trying to figure out how to how to get back into what they consider being the normal content uh, delivery of sports, yeah. uh, which obviously involves, you know, people in a setting where they'll have to, there's not much social distancing happening in a, in a sports field. So I think just trying to figure out how that works and going into what the future would look like of competitive sports, uh, we've seen now at level four, certain productions also starting to open up and people being able to shoot their production, which which I think from just trying to get the guys to think more outside of the box and exactly what you're saying. And I know that you've been in this space for a long time. That's why I think for me, it was interesting to talk to you because these are the things that I know that you've been advocating for for, for quite a while. And I think some yeah. people have been forced to think that way in the last three months. You yeah. know, to say, look, sure. to a point where I think Instagram has become the new 
a, a broadcaster, if you want to call it that. Yeah. I mean, Instagram TV. So I know one of the fun. earlier. Yeah, yeah. Instagram issue would we're trying to figure out the monetization of it. I think that's that's uh, that's another issue. I, I think it's great that people are putting out content, um, and and I I'm not sure if there's a broader plan. Um, around around monetization and the commercial nature of, of consuming content that way, uh, but I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna get there pretty quickly. Some are already there, and and some will head that way. Uh, but I wanted to touch a little bit more around issues in regards to your travel. I know that you, I remember one of the first, in fact, the only Jamie's that I've been to in London. You took me to a spot. Um, uh, I can't remember which part actually it was, but do you remember that a couple of years ago we uh, we did a we, we did a Jamie Oliver uh, a branch was it in was it in Hyde Park uh, uh, many many years Park. ago? Yeah, it was many years ago. Not... I think it was like <laughs> seven seven years ago. It was like 2013. Yeah, uh, it wasn't Hyde Park. Hey. It was closer to Notting Hill, I think. Notting yeah. Hill, Notting yeah, Hill. Correct. Yeah, it, so, it was South so... Kensington vibe. Yes. Notting Hill area. Tell me about your time. Tell me about your time in in, in London. Well, uh, London happened because I didn't feel like I fitted in in Paris. So I left home right after the World Cup in 2010 and study um, an honors degree in, at a very prestigious French school called L'Ecole Internationale de Théâtre Jacques Lecoq, and for short we just call it Lecoq, which has obviously <laughs> always led to great jokes and being sarcastic <laughs> if anyone's missing that. <laughs> um, Jacques Lecoq yeah. was just a, an extraordinary teacher of movement. So I wanted to, having faced a lot of barriers of entry after my undergrad here at home in South Africa, I just wanted to find out why I was struggling to get work and why as a as a educated, highly educated, you know, I had a degree and in our country that's one of the it's kind of still a minority, sadly. So I was like, why am I struggling to get work? And I couldn't find the answers in my space or in my environment. So I had to go outside of it. And because I'd learned French in high school, I went to the school, which I'd loved for a number of years beforehand. But then I got there. And the schooling was extraordinary. I mean, uh, we specialize in language of gesture. And a lot of people call us mimes or clowns. Um <laughs> which again, is always great for joking. Um, <laughs> um, but I just, <laughs> I didn't fit into Paris. You know, I didn't like, um, the city wasn't for me. You know, there were lots of magical moments. School was fantastic. And I still uh, feel like I missed out by choosing not to do the second year, but I just, I wasn't happy. It was starting to affect my mental health, constantly being othered in a negative light. And so I started looking for different spaces to do the master's portion of my studies. And I came across this extraordinary course in London at a university called Kingston University. Shout out to the alma mater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. Kingston, like myself as a disruptor, has been at the forefront of teaching creative economy. And um, I found this extraordinary course called MACE which is a master's of creative economy. And at the time, 
studying, I was able to double major, which is essentially like doing two masters in one year, but is not as heavy as that sounds, or maybe not even as impressive, but some people find it impressive. Thank you to those people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but essentially, you do two streams of a master's, and my two streams were filmmaking and the creative economy. And that's really where I found my eureka, my answers to the questions I was having as a professional. Um, because you were forced under the creative economy uh, stream to run a company, not forced. <laughs> you, were, you had to uh, run a company for a year and that meant registering it, getting a bank account, going through the admin that you don't learn in an undergrad film course or in an honors um, um experience where you're working on physical movement and language of gesture and the penny just dropped and I finally understood that I had always had an entrepreneurial spirit but I hadn't really acquired the skills to become the person I saw myself as and so um, I read our masters uh, my team and I who were four of us two people were focused on international management uh, Roman and Max Max was from Germany, Roman was Russian, and then there was Janet and I, and Janet focused on advertising, and all of us met in the creative economy sector, and we were the top team in our year, and so because of that, uh, my university sponsored me to stay on in London for another two years to uh, sort of I work on this ideation and research and develop what is now Busabundu Pictures. And it, it really right. anchored me in exactly what type of business I wanted to run and what type of a business person I wanted to be. Um, and London, I always say to people, London grew me up, you know, it grew me up as a city. Amazing. I mean, I, I, I have the fondest of me- uh, memories uh, in London, except the, except the fact that most of them have uh, resulted in me being unhappy after an Arsenal match. But <laughs> other than that, uh, I think uh, I, have, I have amazing, I have amazing memories of uh, London. Certainly, one of my favorite in the world. Um, and and just your experience in London. Yeah. In coming back to South Africa and having to integrate and become an entrepreneur in an African setting. Yeah. Where it's different from the the mindset of what happens. In, in, in the UK and in Europe, around the film industry, around being an artist, uh, around the value that is placed in society around that. What is your, what is your view on, on the mindset of, of Europe versus the African continent, in particular South Africa, in how the, the sector of, of uh, film or production uh, uh, or or, or just a creative economy in an African continent yeah I mean there's so many things that are the same and there's so many things that are very different Uh, let me start with the differences the difference is that Europe has an older industry and what that's done for them is give them a plethora of platforms. So you can just be a musical theater performer or you can be a filmmaker or you can be a television co- content creator. Um, whereas in South Africa, you do all of those things at the same time because the industry is so small and so young that to survive economically at least and I'd say spiritually, mentally and emotionally just because you know if you love this profession you want to keep working um, you have to have all those skills because you're auditioning for everything and anything you can 
to ensure that you're making an income. And I have a number of friends who would just focus on musical theater and that would be their career and successful at that. Um, not, you know, able to and live a good life, get work, travel. Um, and that for me was the main difference that I saw was that, you know, we're doing the same things, but ultimately actually it's the the age of this industry that gives people more options. But what's the same? And I wouldn't just put it down to the African continent and the European continent. I think it's our industry en general is that the struggle is real, man. <laughs> you know, especially right, if you're on, right, in front right. of the camera, they, there are hundreds of you going for the same role. And there is only one Julia Roberts. There's only one Tom Hanks. There's only one... Um, What's her name? Jennifer, the highest paid right now. Uh, she was in Hunger Games. I forget her name. Um, but Lawrence. Yes, exactly. Jennifer Lawrence. There's only one Jennifer Lawrence at a time. It's not like there can be five highest paid actresses at one time, which is a crazy Hollywood model, which we can discuss another time. And I think has led to an unhealthy environment within our industry, actually. But because of that, most artists are actually always on the fringe of survival regardless of the continent and it just gets incrementally better based on how old the industry is in your country but i would say the hunger for good art the hunger to see oneself represented on screen is a global experience and what is exciting for me about the African continent versus the European continent is because we were forced to study and understand so many different experiences within the arts. We're boss, like we're really good. And we, we have so right. much to offer. And we, we have so much capacity to be so solution driven as an industry. And we just need, I would say, a willingness from our governance to understand our industry. Because I would say that's one of the biggest shames as a South African in particular, because I can't speak for the whole continent. But I often feel like at home, there's just a lack of understanding of the industry. And a lot of the people who tend to run the arts department or the film department will use America as a benchmark or Europe as a benchmark, not having fully understood our industry and our skill sets. Wow, okay. So, um, so maybe a different note. Um, so if you are in knowing what you know now um, about life, about experiences, about uh, many things in your professional and personal life, if we're yeah. having a conversation with a 10-year-old Busa Bundu, what, yeah. what, what are you saying to her? Oh man, that little girl was so confident. Um, <laughs> I would say to her, um, goodness, what would I say to 10 year old me? I have to think about where I was. I was at Sacred Heart College. Shout out to that alma mater, my junior school. Shout out. Um, shout, out. <laughs> shout out, shout out, all the shout outs to, the, to my institutes of knowledge. Um, I don't know. I, I think that I don't know what I'd say to her because I kind of feel there's nothing I regret about what I've gone through. Um, maybe what a lot of people tend to want to say to their younger self, just be kinder to yourself. That's what I'd say to her. Be kinder to yourself and um, stay the course. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Be kind to yourself and stay the course. And it's kind of what I've done, but maybe I haven't been as kind to myself. Um, 
as I think would have been more beneficial to my capacity to be a boss. <laughs> right, right, right. What no, you say, you. What you say to 10-year-olds too? Um, 10-year-olds too, so... Look, I think 10-year-old Ted lived a lot in his head and created a whole lot of imagery in his head, which I think is important when you're a kid. Because yeah. I think the the imagery and and the world that I created in my head as a 10-year-old, I I pretty much got to pretty quickly. And yeah. and and at 18 I continued to do that. And I think you keep building blocks when, when you're a kid, you should be able to dream as, as, as much as you can. And, and, and I, and I think the, the broader thought, not just for 10 year olds here, but I just wish that kids, particularly in this country, particularly African kids are in a safe yeah. environment at 10 to be able to have the space to think and dream about those things. Right. For so, sure. So, and I hope what motivates them to dream is about wanting to create a world which is beautiful, not because the kind of world where they are is dreadful, you know. So, yeah. so, so that's yeah, that's that's probably uh, my 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 thoughts around the issue. And and I think childhoods are obviously different for everybody, but I think that's where everything oh. starts. You know, I think I think people imagine who they'd like to be i think people see imagery of other people and start playing some role in their minds and i and i think that's where a lot of people are motivated to do certain things to tell stories of what they've seen and 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 that's why i always say that the world just needs more creators you know absolutely Um, and represent is everything if you see yourself represented especially on a big screen or on the television show that your whole family sits down to watch, you feel seen. Yeah. And what's your what's your view on love? Oh, wow. I think it's the most magical, magical element of our existence. I think that the old age question of why do we exist as a species, the answer is love. We exist because we have been given this exceptionally complex concept, feeling, idea, whatever you think love is, it, it's real, right? It's definitely real and it's right. complex. Sometimes it's really, really tough and harsh, you know. Um, if you think of women or men who live through domestic violence, they love that partner who's putting them through that violence, right? right. And right. it's the love they have, the romantic love that they have for that partner that makes it so hard for them to save themselves and it's the lack of love that they have for themselves or rather the lack of healthy self-love that they have for themselves that makes them stay in that environment and so that for me in itself is like the dichotomy of existence the sun rises and then the sun sets and the moon comes so love is just oh for me as a person it's it's just my raison d'être it's why i feel i exist and i'm so inspired by it and i work for it you know uh, busabuntu pictures's um motto is for the story and that's because i believe that 
I was designed and made as a person to work for the story and that is ultimately what my legacy should be and to me storytelling is based in love because love is the greatest educator so right. yeah man that's a heavy question but definitely <laughs> inspired a fire in me when you asked I was right. like oh my gosh right right love. no it's, it's such a it's 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 so beautiful just hearing you uh, express yourself on that I mean it's a uh, um the fire is definitely there I can I felt that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no no, no. yeah because I felt it too it was like this fire that came over I was like oh my gosh yeah, how many no. songs no, can I, I write it. about love <laughs> yeah no I felt it I mean look I think there's obviously all types of myths about artists and creators and and them being romantics and and just you know and, oh I am definitely uh, Romantic, but I'm a dark romantic. <laughs> you're, you're a dark romantic. You're right. All right. No, I'm a dark no, fantastic. And 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 your yeah. view about being African and and particularly African, Black African in Africa at the moment, being a woman. Yeah. What does that look like? So I'm I'm so grateful you asked that question because I always. Um, you know i come from a family of activism and uh like so many south africans uh of african ethnicity we we know struggle because i think you know being born in 85 meant that i was born into apartheid and uh we we we've advanced so quickly in our capacity to walk through this life i'd say as south africans that people sometimes forget how fresh off of that oppressive system we are and that just goes right back to love i think africans just have this extraordinary capacity to love and that's probably why i was so moved by that question because i can immediately reference my family my grandparents my ancestry and the immense love that they must have had not only for me but for themselves and our extraordinary country and planet and heritage that they passed that on to us and so growing up in not only an intellectually activist family um and also just like we lived it you know we lost our grandfather to the struggle he was taken by 11 bullets and that's not something a lot of people around me could relate to um but i remember my mother coming back and she didn't say the white people killed your grandfather she said we've lost your grandfather and i always tell that story because it just shows just one example of how i think many africans and women african women deal with pain and loss and hardship and one of the things i've been doing to provoke because you know i love to provoke in the- of course yeah. <laughs> is just make people think about the difference between being black and being of african ethnicity and i know this because you know my father worked he was a secretary to utatu bigo steven banmonget bigo who was the founder of the black consciousness movement and so because my father was a secretary in that and my mother and dad both worked closely with him before he died we always grew up understanding that black and blackness is a system that is the antithesis of whiteness and so when i say to people that you can be of african ethnicity and be white it just rubs them up the wrong way and that's because of the education we've had because 
because you believe that white is a pigmentation or a reference to your ethnicity and i've been introducing to my friends and anyone really interested in discussing it this idea that start referring to yourself as someone of african ethnicity if you have african ethnicity and if you have european ethnicity or asian ethnicity or first nation because that's geographically accurate and it's the science we have right now that has no prejudice in regards to somebody's ethnic heritage and then opens your whole world up and that i i just gave that back history because i want you to get an idea of how i exist as a person in this world is that being a woman of african ethnicity who definitely identifies through blackness but not because of my ethnicity but because of my philosophical social political and socio economic outlook um are two very different things and when i i say that to people of african ethnicity they sometimes feel i'm trying to pull myself away from blackness when in fact it's the opposite it's it's exactly what bigo and people like um the great dr martin luther king were trying to teach us is that if you free your mind you are free no matter where you are whether you are in a prison cell or whether you are sitting in a palace if your mind is free you are truly free and that is the essence of blackness because whiteness was introduced to africans through the western invasion of africa before that these were other humans who could have introduced themselves and said hey we're from europe and then they would have just been europeans but because the western invasion arrived and said we are white that's what they became but whiteness was a system a philosophy it was never a scientific or biological descriptor of your ethnic heritage or cultural heritage and so for me being a woman in this time and also being a cisgendered woman um of african ethnicity it's exciting it's scary but it's also exciting because i have the kind of choices that my grandmother that my mother didn't even have to to speak to my identity with that confidence and clarity and unapologetically say to somebody well i actually think you're quite white and they may be the same ethnicity to me as me rather and see where that takes our conversation because i genuinely believe that if you can provoke somebody and make them reconsider what they believe to be the truth you're helping them free their mind So I I feel very free as a 34-year-old woman in 2020 um of African ethnicity and I'm on the continent with the youngest population we have so many opportunities on this continent and I really just it's it's a mission and an intention for me to continue to try and free and galvanize as many Africans of all ethnicities as possible because I think that if I could even just leave one person feeling more confident in who they are, more in love with their heritage and their identity without it costing anybody anything. I I'll I'll feel like I've done some good in the world. Well, look. That was a mouthful. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to talk that, okay? So so we got to Yeah, we got to you just dropped the mic on everybody. And uh and and that was yeah. That was something really special and I and and I'm so glad you really went there and I was hoping you'd really really go there. Um and <laughs> you know what I always do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was really hoping that our conversation will 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 will, will go right there and I and, and those are the things that I think motivated even my 
my my mind to 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 want to have this conversation with you because I think you yeah. you you're absolutely amazing and 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 I think that your oh, your freeness back at you. yeah is 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 exuded and 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 you can feel it you know and and that passion that you express yourself in and and I hope that a lot of people get to inter- interact with your work uh, globally oh. um and, and they get to see <laughs> what you do and I'm really excited for you and where things will go into the future and and thank you for agreeing to to spend your your valuable time with us and I and I really appreciate it so thank you so much for coming through uh, I don't think uh, I don't think anything could top where you just ended off Ah <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah who knows so, have a volume two of talking stuff yeah yeah, yeah yeah so it's a lot of stuff that we touched on so so i think i think I'll, i'll definitely look forward to a continuation i'm sure i'm gonna get the request coming in uh but thank you so much for yeah. for, for agreeing to come on board and and we'll be looking out for for your projects and for your work and, and i know that you know we'll, we'll i look forward to the prospect of another dinner party where we can all socialize without being told to wear a mask for sure and it's all it's going to happen everything has its season and i mean i just want to say a shout out to you for um creating a space where we can share the african perspective um in this medium you know one of my passions if it hasn't come across is sharing the beauty of the african perspective and um being a part of your podcast was exciting for me because i do think that Uh, there's a linear idea of who we are as Africans um, and sometimes people try to disassociate South Africa and Egypt from Africa because we were considered closer to Western ideas but this is Africans you know we are speaking the English language now because it's a medium that people can understand right. in greater parts of the world but but if you are listening to us yeah. and, yeah. and I think yeah. it's kancane nje sibazisa ukuthi siphuma bangakhohlwa ukuthi balalele amazulu and i think that, that that's beautiful that we are able to bring them in so they sit at the table and then bit by bit we'll start teaching them some isizulu so that they can really marinate in that african perspective so more power to you and i hope this grows thank you so much thank you so much uh Thank you everybody. I hope you really enjoyed that because I certainly did. And uh I look forward <laughs> to uh I look forward to the next one. Take care uh Musa. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Stay. Have a good weekend. Bye.